So today we're continuing our series called The Unveiling. The unveiling meaning the uncovering or the revealing of God's plan. You know, the book of Revelation is actually called The Unveiling. And so uh, our purpose in this series is really not to make people fearful, but rather to make them aware of what's going on. Give them a biblical perspective so that we can be ready and prepared for no matter what happens in the future. Amen. Now, the question in everybody's mind is this. Are we living in the last days? And this is not a new question. It's a question that the disciples asked Jesus in Matthew 24 and verse 3. Later, Jesus sat on the Mount of Olives. His disciples came to him privately said, and said, Tell us, when will all this happen? What sign will signal your return and the end of the world? They wanted to know when and what the end of the world would look like. What would be the signs that it was getting close? They wanted to know so they could prepare, so they could see. They wanted to know what was going to be the signal of his return. And as we mentioned last week, God has a predicted calendar of events that he's prepared for man. He's got a, like he, he sat in heaven and he drew up a plan and his plan is getting played out all over the world. His plan is already being played out. And through the Bible, through Bible prophecy, God reveals or predicts these certain future events that's going to take place. Remember in Amos 3, 7, he says, Surely the Lord God does nothing unless he reveals his secret to his servants, the prophets. God speaks his plan. So through the prophets, God has revealed the prophetic events that will lead us in to the time of the end. The, the Bible predicts what's going to happen from here on out. Amen. And so the question is, where are we right now? in God's prophetic calendar of events. Where where are we and what does God have planned next? What's the next thing that we should look for or we should be looking for? Well, many theologians believe that God's prophetic calendar of events looks something like this. I have a little chart that I want to show you. And uh, it just kind of, for me, it helps me to get a picture. And this is kind of what it looks like. Um, uh, there's different theologians uh, di different uh, Bible scholars that, that view some of this a little differently. But this is basically it. The first coming, the rapture, the tribulation, the second coming, the millennium, and then eternity. So I want to look at that for just a moment. The first major event predicted by the Bible is, of course, the first coming of Christ. Remember the prophet Isaiah. We talked about this last week. He prophesied that Christ would come in Isaiah 7 and 14. All right, then the Lord himself will give you a sign. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. Now, prior to that time, nobody had ever been born of a virgin and nobody has ever been born of a virgin since that time. 400 years later, Isaiah's prophecy came to pass. In Matthew 1.18, this is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph. But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. In verse 21, and she will have a son and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And all of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. Now, the Bible records the prediction and the fulfillment of the first coming of Christ, which has already happened, which is in the past. So then the question is, what's next on God's 
prophetic calendar. Well, according to most evangelical theologians, the next major event predicted by Bible prophecy is the rapture of the church. And as you go back to the chart, you'll see first you have the first coming and then the rapture. Now, what is the rapture? What is that? Well, the word rapture in the Latin version of the phrase the Bible uses to describe the catching away of Christians. You can't find the word rapture in the Bible. So who talked about that? Who came up with that? Where did that come from? Well, the, the catching away of all Christians is, is what is believed that is going to happen before the end times. The Apostle Paul was the first person to speak of this event. In 1 Thessalonians 4.13, he said, Brothers, we don't want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. We believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left till the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet call of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. The Bible talks about the resurrection of the dead. And this is what it says. The first thing that will happen is the resurrection of the dead. Verse 17. After that, we who are still alive. So apparently when this trumpet's going to sound and Jesus is going to come, they're going to be people that are still alive and are left will be, there it is, the word rapture, caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Now notice the Lord doesn't come to the earth and join up with the Christians. The Christians go up to meet with him in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. Now notice as he's talking about this end time event, He's saying, encourage each other with with these words. So according to Bible scholars, millions of people will vanish from the face of the earth without a trace in a millisecond, like boom, gone. It will look something like this. Jesus said in Matthew 24 and verse 40, Jesus said, then there will be two men in the field. One will be taken, one will be left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken, one will be left. Did y'all go see that movie? Is it about the rapture of the end times. There's a new movie out right now about that. But years ago, there was somebody who wrote a series of books called Left Behind. But imagine if what the Bible scholars are predicting, <clears throat> excuse me. <clears throat> imagine if what the Bible scholars are predicting is true. And then all of a sudden, the trumpet's going to sound and Christians going to be taken off the globe. And whatever Christian is flying that 747 that you're on, you're no longer going to have a pilot. But hopefully you're going to make a hole in that plane and you're going to be caught up too. Amen. Imagine what it's going to be like for all of a sudden all these people to vanish. And people are going to go, Mama, Mama, Mama's gone. Uh Uh-oh, not good. According to Paul, this event, the rapture is a mystery. In 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty one, listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep. We will not all sleep. We will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality. 
So Paul says it's a mystery. A mystery is something that has not yet been revealed before. And so according to the to most theologians, the next major event on God's prophetic calendar is the rapture. So how is that going to happen? Verse 52, Paul said it's going to happen in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, like like as soon as you blink your eyes there at the last trumpet. So Paul is saying the event of the rapture of the church is a mystery that has not been revealed before that will happen suddenly. It's like it's going to come. So that is what many, many Bible scholars believe that it's going to be next. Now, let's keep going. Is there a rapture? If there is a rapture, then what's going to happen after the rapture? Well, the Bible speaks of the seven-year tribulation. So there's first coming, the rapture, and then seven years of tribulation. What is the tribulation? The, the Bible describes it as a time of great trouble on the earth. Daniel prophesied that the world will experience troubles and anguish like it's never seen before. In Daniel 12 and 1, it says, At that time, Michael, the archangel who stands guard over your nation will arise there will be a time of anguish greater than any since nations first came into existence. But at that time, every one of you, every one of your people whose name is written in the book will be rescued. Notice it says those whose names were written in the book will be rescued. Many of those whose bodies lie dead and buried will rise up, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting disgrace. Those who are wise will shine as bright as the sky and those who lead many to righteousness will shine like the stars forever. But you, Daniel, keep this prophecy a secret, seal it up in the book till the time of the end, when many will rush here and there and knowledge will increase. So Daniel predicts a time of anguish on the earth greater greater than ever seen before. Jesus also prophesied about this time of tribulation. In Matthew 24, 19, he says, but woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days. But pray that your flight will not be in the winter or Sabbath, for then there will be a great tribulation such as not occurred since the beginning of the world until now, nor ever will. Unless those days had been cut short, no life would have ever would have been saved for the sake of the elect. Those days will be cut short. Notice what's interesting about the seven tribulation, seven year tribulation is that the Bible devotes more space to talking about the tribulation than any historical period in the Bible. In fact, you know, as you read the book of Revelations, a great portion of that is devoted to this time period. But what's the purpose of the tribulation? Why does God or, or the Bible devote so much time? What, what's God's purpose in all that? I, I believe the answer, surprisingly, that his purpose is to demonstrate his love and his mercy towards humanity. You know, I believe God plans to allow the earth to tremble, to turn people's hearts towards him. And so they can be saved eternally from the judgment to come. Notice what Daniel says in Daniel 12 and 1. He says, there will be a time of anguish greater than any since nations first came into existence. But at that time, every one of your people whose names written in the book will be rescued. So you could see even at the time 
of tribulations, God's got a plan of rescuing. God plans to rescue his people even through tribulation. Now, there are, there are different theological views about uh, the rapture and tribulation. And some people believe there, uh, some people believe there will be a rapture before the seven years of tribulation. In other words, the rapture come, Christians will be taken out, and then the tribulation will start. And it looks like this. You know, first coming, the church age, the rapture, and then the tribulation. But then there are others who believe the rapture will happen halfway through the tribulation. That we will have to work through part of the rapture and, or, or excuse me, the tribulation, and then we'll be rescued midway through the tribulation. They call that mid-tribulation doctrine. And then there's still others that believe the rapture will take place after the tribulation, like this. So you'll have the rapture, and they believe that basically the rapture and the second coming are all one. And then there's some people that don't believe there is even going to be a rapture. Now, I don't know exactly, but all the, the theologians, you know, my personal, my personal hope is that it'll happen. If there is a rapture and there is a tribulation, that the Lord take me out of here before it gets started. Amen. That's my hope. That's my desire. And, and that would be, Lord, that would really prove your mercy and your grace right there. Amen. But, you know, whether there is a rapture, whether there is a tribulation, all theologians worth their salt absolutely believe there is going to be tribulation on the earth. There's going to be a tribulation period on the earth. You can't read your Bible and not see that. you you got to pull out so many verses, so many. You have to pull out books of the Bible to get that out of there. Amen. So the question then is what happens you know, once this tribulation starts, what happens after the seven years of tribulations? Well, the next major event after the tribulation is, as the chart shows us, is the second coming of Christ. Now, you know, sometimes it's confusing that the rapture and the second coming are all balled down in one. Some people believe the rapture and the second coming are two separate events like this. Many theologians believe that. But many theologians believe that the next major event after the tribulation is Jesus coming back, the second coming of Christ. Again, the Bible overflows with prophecies prophesying Jesus coming again. He's coming again, saints. Did you know that the Bible speaks three times as more about the second coming of Christ than it did about the first coming of Christ? It speaks more about his return. There are 129 prophecies concerning the first coming of Christ, but there is 329 prophecies regarding the second coming of Christ. How many of you feel nervous when you start talking about the second coming of Christ? How many of you get excited when you hear about the second coming of Christ? Amen. Well, remember when the disciples watched Jesus ascend. Remember whenever he was with his last group there and he was ascending into heaven, and there were two white rope men that were standing around. And when they saw the disciples look at Jesus as he escaped into the clouds, he spoke to them in verse 11 of Acts chapter 1, said, Men of Galilee, they said, Why are you standing here staring into heaven? Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, but someday 
He will return from heaven in the same way that you saw him go. Jesus predicted that he would return. Matthew 24, verse 29. But immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. And the stars will fall from the sky and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky. And then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. And he will stand forth, his angels with a great trumpet, or he will send forth, rather, his angels with a great trumpet, and they will gather together his elect from the four winds, from one end of the sky into the other. So Jesus says uh, in verse 29, but immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, and so on and so forth. And then, verse 30, then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky. You know, as Jesus refers here, it sounds like there's going to be a tribulation and then the second coming. So Jesus said the Son of Man would come immediately after the tribulation. Now, John received a revelation, a vision of Jesus coming. In John 19, John records and reveals what the second coming is going to look like as he saw it. In John 19 and verse 11, it says, Then I saw heaven open. And a white horse was standing there. Its rider was named Faithful and True, for he judges fairly and wages a righteous war. His eyes were like flames of fire, and on his head were many crowns. And his name was written on him that no one understood except himself. And he wore a robe dipped in blood, and his title was The Word of God. The armies of heaven, dressed in the finest of pure white linen, followed him on white horses. From his mouth came a sharp sword to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron rod. He will release the fierce wrath of God, the Almighty, like juice flowing from the winepress. And on his robe and his right thigh was written this title, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Wow. What a glorious day. It'll be when Jesus comes again. Hey, when he rode into Jerusalem, he was on a donkey. And he looked like this defeated, humble servant. But he was actually just fulfilling the prophecy that was prophesied how he would come in. He wouldn't come in with his barrage of, of, of military might and his, all his, his royalty. He came in humbly and they didn't even recognize who he was. And he was crucified and he died. But folks, when he comes again, he's not going to be riding a donkey. Amen. He's going to be riding a white horse. Amen. And he's coming to rule in the rain. Whenever he came the first time, he led Satan and let his demons do what it was that they had to do. Because he had a plan that God had for him to do and a, and a purpose for him. But when he's coming back, he's not coming back to be nailed to the cross. Amen. He's coming back to rule in the rain. Listen, Jesus is coming again. Not like a lamb led to the slaughter, but as the line of the tribe of Judah. Amen. Jesus is on the throne. Amen. And he's interceding at the right hand of the father until the father says, okay, son, it's time. I've had enough. I've seen enough. It's time for you to go and take care of business. My business. He's coming again. Do y'all believe that? 
Amen. He's coming again. You know, it's really good to talk about this, man. I tell you, it helps put some spiritual starts in your spine. Amen, doesn't it? Whenever you put on CNN and you hear about stuff, put it in the context of God's prophetic calendar. What is God doing? Because I promise you, my friend, there is not one thing happening on the globe that is not first sifted through God's hands and said, I want this to happen. I want to allow this to happen. This is going to fall right into place of what I got planned. None of it. Y'all believe that? Amen. But now listen, God's flow of events, it doesn't stop with the second coming. The next event is the millennial reign of Christ. And this is the flow. You got the first coming, you got the church age, you got the tribulation, you got the rapture that's going to happen somewhere if you believe in that. You got the second coming, and then there's the millennial reign, thousand years. The thousand years of millennial reign of Christ. The millennial is what is identified as a thousand years of peace on the earth, during which time Satan is bound up for a thousand years and Jesus is ruling and reigning on the earth. Revelation chapter 20 and verse 1 says, Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven with a key to the bottomless pit and a heavy chain in his hand. He seized the dragon, the old serpent, who is the devil, Satan, and he bound him in chains for a thousand years. Then the angel drew him into the bottomless pit, which he then shut and locked. So Satan could not deceive the nations anymore until the thousand years were finished. Afterward, he must be released for a little while. Now, as you can see from this scripture, according to John, Satan is bound up and thrown into the bottomless pit for a thousand years. And Satan is kept from deceiving the nations. You want to know what's deceiving the nations? There is the culprit right there. Satan is kept from deceiving the nations during this millennial time. And Jesus, along with the saints, are ruling and reigning on the earth. When Jesus comes back, he's not coming back by himself. He's coming back with the saints. And him and the saints are going to rule and reign on the earth for the thousand years. Revelation 24 says, Then I saw thrones, and the people sitting on them had been given authority to judge. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their testimony about Jesus and for proclaiming the word of God. They had not worshipped the beast or his statue, nor accepted his mark on their forehead or, or their hands. And they came to life again, and they reigned with Christ for a thousand years. So Jesus and the saints are reigning on the earth for a thousand years while Satan is bound up in the bottomless pit. This is known as the millennial reign of Christ. Now, just a little sidebar, something to note, important to note. Before Jesus returns and during the tribulation period, there is going to be what is called the Antichrist that will come on the scene and will set up his kingdom on the earth. While the tribulation is going on, there's going to be a leader that sets up the rule on the earth. And many souls will be one during that tribulation time that the Antichrist is coming along. You know, if the rapture happens and the Christians are gone, there's going to be people that turn to the Lord during this tribulation time. And they're going to be martyred. They're going to be beheaded. And the, the Antichrist 
spirit will force people to worship him as well as accept his mark on their foreheads or their hands, Revelation speaks of. And if they refuse to go along with the Antichrist's program, they will be martyred or beheaded. John describes Satan's actions like this in Revelations 13, 5. Then the beast was allowed to speak great blasphemies against God, and he was given authority to do whatever he planned or whatever he wanted for 42 months. And he spoke terrible words of blasphemy against God, slandering his name in his temple, that is, those who live in heaven. And the beast was allowed to wage war against God's holy people and to conquer them. And he was given authority to rule over every tribe and people and language and nation. He's going to be the world leader. He's going to be the world leader. That's why I believe that America has to, has to lose its predominance in power for God's plan to come into place. So as we watch the nation, we know that the weaker America gets, the closer we are to fulfilling the one world leader that's going to get set up, that is going to rule the world and be the Antichrist. Verse 16, he required everyone, small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to be given a mark on the right hand or on the forehead. And no one could buy or sell anything without the mark, which which was either the name of the beast or the number representing his name. And wisdom is needed here. Let the one with understanding solve the meaning of the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man. His number is 666. So the way that he controls everybody is he, you got to receive this mark. And the only way to do business, the only way to buy and sell is to use this mark. And if you don't have the mark, you won't be able to buy, sell and trade. So Satan is given authority to do whatever he wanted on the earth for seven years during this tribulation time, tormenting God's people and even forcing them to worship him to, and receive his more. That's a tribulation period. But when Jesus returns, he puts an end to Satan's destruction and he binds him up and he throws him in the bottomless pit. So this world leader is not, doesn't have the power. The Antichrist doesn't have the power anymore. So now the question is, what happens after those thousand years are up? Does he break the lock? Does he bust through this gate? And come back? Well, Revelation 23 says the dragon threw him into the bottomless pit, which he then shut and locked. So, or excuse me, the angel threw him into the bottomless pit, which he then shut and locked. So Satan could not deceive nations anymore until the thousand years were finished. Afterward, he must be released for a little while. So Satan will be released, apparently, for a little while after the thousand-year millennial reign of Christ is finished. And then he will be finally finished off at the battle of Gog and Magog. Revelation 20 and verse 7, it says, When the thousand years come to an end, Satan will be let out of his prison. He will go out to deceive the nations called Gog and Magog in every corner of the earth. He will gather them together for battle, a mighty army as numberless as sand along the seashore. And I saw them as they went up on the broad plain of the earth and surrounded God's people in the beloved city. But fire from heaven came down on on the attacking armies and consumed them. 
Now, what this is talking about is after the millennial reign of Christ and Satan is released from the bottomless pit, he gathers this coalition of nations and they are all gathered around Israel to destroy Israel. God's chosen people. Once again, he's trying to take them out. But God supernaturally defeats this coalition, giving Israel a quick and a decisive victory. Boom, it's happening. God delivers his people. Then Satan receives his final judgment and he's cast in the lake of fire forever and ever. Revelation 20.10 says, And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the fiery lake of burning sulfur, joining the beast and the false prophet. There will be There they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Amen. This is the end of the devil, the serpent, Satan, as we know him. Amen. That's God's plan. So right now it may look like he's winning, but his time is short. His days are numbered. Amen. It's just a little while yet, and it's all going to be over. And then finally, the last major event on God's prophetic calendar after the second coming and after Satan is released a little while is the new heavens and the new earth. Revelation 21, verse 1, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared, and the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look! God's home is now among his people. He will live with them. They will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, look, I'm making everything new. And he said to me, write this down for what I tell you is trustworthy and true. How many of you believe that what God tells you is trustworthy and true? And verse six, and he also said, it is finished. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To all who are thirsty, I will give freely from the springs of water of life. And all who are victorious will inherit all these blessings. And I will be their God and they will be my children. Amen. The new heavens and the new earth. Imagine a place where there's no satanic influence. Imagine a place where there's no evil and there's no wickedness. There's no crime. There's no violence. There's no hatred. There's no bondages. Come on, imagine a place. There's no strongholds. There's no death. There's no sorrow. There's no crying. There's no pain. Imagine a place where there's no mosquitoes. (laughs) Amen. Now I'm getting you excited. Amen. Imagine a place where there's no humidity, no bills, no stress. Amen. My friends, that's what God has destined and planned for you and I to live in for all of eternity. Amen. That's God's prophetic plan that he's prepared before the beginning of time. So listen, everything you see and everything you hear about is just a drop in the bucket. It's just a dot on the, on the, on the screen. It's just a little piece of the puzzle. But when you look at it and you watch it all, just sit back and know, hmm, 
I wonder how this is playing into God's prophetic plan. Amen? Isn't this exciting? The reason I did this, I know for some of you this is very elementary, but I know for some of you this is not so much. But I like to chart. It helps me to line it all up. It helps me to figure it out. When we say, well, God's got a plan. Well, what is his plan? Well, here it is. He prophesied his first coming and it came. We're in the church age. But if there's a rapture, it could happen in the twinkling of an eye, in a flash. And if the seven-year tribulation is right on the, on, the, on the horizon, then either we will be taken out or we'll be stuck in the middle of it. But if you're not ready, you're not going to get taken out. Even if there is a rapture, you got to get ready. Amen. you got to stay ready. Now, there's lots of details that we didn't fill in this morning, things that are going to happen during these prophetic events, right? And I just want to mention Tim. Tim, where's Tim? Tim, are you still... Doing your studies that Monday night, Monday night, Tim Gilbert is doing a study on the book of Revelation. And you could get a lot of detail if you just go to that class and encourage you if you've never been to go. Because lots of people are scared of the book of Revelation because they read about the seals and, you know, a a third of the water turned into blood and they, oh, my goodness. Wow. Well, that freaks you out if you don't know what's going on. I mean, it still freaks you out even if you do know what's going on. But it doesn't freak you out quite as much. Well, listen, there's one more important thing that happens just before the new heavens and the the new earth has been created. And that's the great white throne judgment. The Bible says in Revelation 20 and verse 11, And I saw a great white throne and the one sitting on it, the earth and the sky fled from his presence. And they found no place to hide. And I saw the dead, both great and small, standing before God's throne. And the books were open, including the book of life. And the dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. So apparently they got some books up there that's recording all our stuff. And then verse 13, the sea gave up its dead. And death and the grave gave up their dead. Just imagine all of a sudden graves popping up open everywhere. And all were judged according to their deeds. The death and the grave, then death and the grave were thrown into the lake of fire. This lake of fire is the second death. So there's more than one death to be concerned about. And anyone whose name was not found recorded in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. So the great white throne judgment is the rewarding of our life according to how we lived, good or bad. So we're going to be rewarded. But it's also the deciding factor of who will be allowed or not allowed into the new heavens and the new earth. The only ones that are going to be allowed are those whose names were written in the Lamb's book of life. That's the only ones that are going to enter the new heaven and the new earth. How many of you want to know where that book's at? You got to have your name written in the book. Because only those whose names were found in the book of life are going to enter in. Those whose names were not, they're going to be thrown into the 
the lake of fire. Revelation 20.15 says, Anyone whose name was not found, recorded in the book of life, was thrown into the lake of fire. So the difference between those who spend eternity in, in the new heaven and the new earth and those who spend eternity in the lake of fire are those whose names were written in the book of life. Philippians 4.2 says this, Now I appeal to you, uh, Yodi, Yodia, and Seneca, please, because you belong to the Lord, settle your disagreement. They, they were having problems and they weren't getting along. And Paul, and, and Paul said, please get this right. Verse three, I ask you, my true partner, to help these two women, for they worked hard with me in telling others the good news. They worked along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are written in the book of life. Now, apparently the only names that are in the book of life are those who belong to the Lord, those that are believers, those that are Christians, those that have surrendered their life to Christ. That's the ones that are in the book of life. And so I think it's like this. When somebody's presented the gospel, that all of us sin, all of us fall short of the glory of God, that all of us need to be, all of us need to repent, ask Jesus to forgive our sins. All of us need to get out of rebellion and rebelling against God and turn our hearts to a loving, merciful God who's got a plan for us to live eternally on the streets of gold and heaven. As the gospel is presented, those who respond in an affirming way, and saying, yes, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that my sins need to be forgiven. And I know I need to surrender my life to Christ. Those that turn their hearts away from rebellion against God and turn towards God as Jesus to forgive them and their sins are forgiven. There's an angel that keeps count and keeps score. And whenever that person makes that decision, their name is written in the Lamb's book of life. Amen. Amen. And so... Whether it's when they die or whether when the great white throne judgment comes and they come out of the grave and they go before the judge and they says, hey, check the book. It's Todd Menard's name in the book. That's Todd David Menard. The first is his name in the book. And that my name is in the book. Glory to God, I just escaped the fire, the lake of fire, and I just qualified to spend my eternity in the new heavens and the new earth, in the new Jerusalem, with Jesus forever and ever. Amen. Praise the Lord for salvation. Amen. Would you stand with me? And so then the question is, is your name written in the Lamb's book of life? Is your name there? I'm not asking you if your mama's a Christian. I'm not asking if you believe in God. I'm not asking you if you've been to church. I'm asking you at some time and some place, have you ever surrendered your heart and your life to Jesus Christ? My friend Satan will allow you to learn Christianese. He'll allow you to hang out with the Christians in church. He'll allow you to believe in a God as long as you never surrender your heart and your life to Jesus Christ. Because that is when your name 
is recorded in the book of life. If your name is not there, you're in trouble. Before we finish, I want to pray. Would you just bow your head with me? If you here today, and you're not sure that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life, you've never really repented of your sins, turned your heart towards Jesus, and made a decision that I'm going to live for Him. If you've never done that before, I want to give you a chance to do that this morning. If you just acknowledge that by raising up your hand and say, Todd, would you pray for me? I'm not sure, but I want to know for sure that my name is in that book. I see your hand. Anybody else? Anybody else? Raise your hand. If your heart is pounding, I want you to just be be sensitive to God. Raise your hand. If the enemy is trying to hold you bound right where you are, don't let him win. Come on. He's defeated. Raise your hand and say, I'm surrendering. I'm surrendering. Raise your hand high. Raise your hand so I can see it. I see your hand way over here. Listen, those of you that raise your hand, raise both hands now. Raise both your hands and say, me, I'm standing up for Jesus. I want to live for Jesus. Yes. Hand over here. Hand over there. Come on. Come on. Don't be ashamed. Don't be bashful. Listen, if you can't stand up for Jesus in church, you'll never stand up. You'll never stand up for him out there. But today is your day, ma'am. Today is your day. Those of you that raise your hand, one more time, raise your hand. Listen, if you're serious about surrendering your heart to Jesus, I want to encourage you to take a step of faith and just slip right out of the pew and come down to the altar. Just come down right now. This is your opportunity. Jesus said, if you will acknowledge me before man... I will acknowledge you before the Father. At some time, at some place, you got to be bold enough to say, I don't care what anybody says or thinks. I want to be a Christian. Amen. 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 Congratulations. 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 Anybody else? Come on. If God's moving on your heart, just come come down right now. But listen, right now, the, the angel is ready to write some new names. Would you just bow your heart with me this morning? Say this, Lord Jesus. I know that I'm a sinner. Lord Jesus, I ask you to forgive me. I want to be a Christian. I want to be saved. I don't want to live in rebellion. I want to live in obedience to you. Lord Jesus, would you forgive me today? Would you cleanse my heart? Would you come into my life? Take charge of my life. I want to live for you. Thank you, Lord, for accepting me into your family. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, I confess Jesus is my Lord. Come on, saints, let's all say that. I confess Jesus is my Lord. Jesus is my Lord. Jesus is my Lord. Amen. Can I have two ladies come and, and meet these ladies and, and make sure that we, we get their names we can pray for? We have some material for you, a Bible for you if you need one. Congratulations. Welcome to the family of God. They know who you are, and they're writing your name in the Lamb's Book of Life. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. Well, let me ask you, how many of you are glad you're saved this morning? Come on. As you watch the news, 
Listen, no, don't watch it except knowing that God is in charge over everything. Amen. Father, I pray the grace of God, the blessing of God over the people of God today. God, may we be prepared. May we stand ready for whatever, whenever is next on your prophetic calendar. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. God bless you.